Hi, Callie. Hey, Michelle. Uh, so we're going to talk about Poppy Bush a little bit more before uh, before we move on with the rest of the 90s. I'm ready. That's the... You ready? Yeah. All right. It's been a pretty wild... Things have been wild with him for kind of a long time. And, um, and he, you know, he's, he's, he stays pretty wild, honestly. So we've been kind of looking at him as being... As the Reagan Bush White House, he's the VP, and we've been looking at that as essentially him using that position to further um, goals of, of the Central Intelligence Agency, uh, which um, you know has kind of a mind of its own in in a way outside of the outside of the the presidency and outside of Congress. They do things notoriously do things that uh, push the president's hand and push Congress and do these types of things. So um, we've been looking at the, at the White House as being used, these posts in the White House as being used to further that agenda. So I wanted to start with a quote from a book I've been talking about a lot, which is Russ Baker's book, Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, Americans in, America's Invisible Government, and the hidden history of the last 50 years. So it's, it's a really readable book. It's very enjoyable, lots of information in it. And as I go through it, whatever, I mean, I've really, I, we've talked about this book a lot. I've really enjoyed it. And I go through and I look up, I compare what I'm finding in it with some of the other things that I'm reading mm -hmm. and what I find on the internet. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit out of Russ Baker's book on this that gives us an idea of getting into how the Bush family, the Reagan White House, really does this kind of this shaping of culture that leads us into that leads us into the 1990s. So one of the things that Russ Baker says in his book is the collapse of FDR's safety net may have looked like a disaster to economists and to the ordinary taxpayers footing the bill for these risky ventures, but it also represented the fulfillment of a dream expressed by Prescott Bush and his confreers to see Roosevelt's hated New Deal brand of socialism, quote-unquote, undone. That it was undone in steps, right, by President by Prescott's son Poppy and grandson W is hardly coincidental. Mm. So I think that that's hardly coincidental at all. I think it's so important to what we see getting shaped up through 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 the White House during this era that we've been talking about because. One thing, and we're not, I'm not going to talk about this really at all, but it's, it's a whole own topic, is the Reagan White House's relationship with Margaret Thatcher and how that melts over into the Bush White House that comes next. It's a very chummy relationship. Ugh, it gives me, ugh, it gives yeah, me a interesting. For chummy relationship chummy relationship with Margaret Thatcher and she really she has 
she has many positive things to say about Poppy Bush. You know, she, um, he, and, and Ronald Reagan, they were favorites of hers, to be sure. So all of that, all of that's happening as well. And we're not even really going to talk, talk about that, but, but not because it's not important, just because it's all important. There's so much here. Yeah. There's so much, so much happening here. So, so let, so I'm going to touch on like what the new deal was just in a nutshell. So it's something that, um, that Roosevelt signed uh, into law in 1933. So signed in the, the, the new deal. And what that gave us in the United States was Social Security, farm security. There were financial reforms. This was a big deal. There, it was banking reforms that were going on. So the Bush family at that point in time is not going to be, they're not going to like that. They're not going to like reforms being put on their their freedom to bank however however mm-hmm. they like with right. Nazis and so on and so forth, right? So they're not going to like that. And also regulations on business that would prevent another depression from happening. Also something that the Bush family is not going to like. Just all around, this is something the Bush family is going to find distasteful. So that's the, but that's the new, that's the new deal. Historians refer to the new deal as being the three R's, which would be relief from unemployment, recovery for the economy after the depression, and reform of the system that created the depression, right? Mm -hmm. So that's also not going to work for the Bush family. So that's the history on where Prescott, you know, you can see him almost like a cartoon, like, whoa, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that new deal. (laughs) Um, But also, like, it put that this particular, the new deal put Democrats in a position of being the minority party that would hold the White House for seven out of the next nine elections. So mm. um, it's, it's yes, it's popular. Like, people, and we find, you know, the more we dig into this, the more we find that to be historically true. People given, people given the option for um, public, for tax money to be used for public ends, people tend to, historically, that is what people want. Um, so... And also true in in this case with FDR's policy. So anyway, these are the domestic policies that the Bush family wants to take out over time, which are these things are actively undermined by the Reagan White House. Mm -hmm. So the entire time that this is going on, everything in the New Deal is being actively undermined in terms of the policies that are coming out of the Reagan White House and also um, the culture-making of the time period. Um, So, you know, there was a very active... This becomes important because this is... This gets at the domestic policy that Bush... It sometimes is criticized for not enacting while he was president, all right? Mm-hmm. And so the argument that I'm making here is that he did do all of this yeah. work to push, right? I to push the domestic policy eventually while he then was able to focus on what he did do very well, which was foreign policy. But I really think we had this pushing domestic, changing domestic policy the way he wanted it changed 
was going to take a real cultural shift. So I think, um, so, right. I so I think, saying. right. So he's going to want, because people want, people like, let's say people liked farm security. People like social security, like there's unemployment security, like there's certain social safety nets that kind of a general public can go into agreement about unless you kind of, you demonize all of those projects and make them so they don't work very well, which the Reagan White House was excellent at doing. Yeah. So you had you had you had this real assault on those programs from the inside. Meanwhile, you had and Nancy Reagan and Ronald Reagan were on television all the time. You know, Ronald Reagan was a was an actor himself and so he was coining all kinds of you know he was out there talking about trickle down economics and he was out there talking about like oh the nine worst words you can hear we're from the government and we're here to help like oh you know what i just googled too because i figured it was him welfare queen Mm -hmm. originates from media reporting in 1974 and was popularized by ronald reagan Yes. Because Welfare yes. Queen is obviously like taking all these social programs that people really loved, uh, you know, mm-hmm. what you were just talking about and just basically demonizing and, and then also using racism mm-hmm. to divide, yep. you know, the lo- lower class people like making lower class white people not want to do it also because they're they're associating it with black people and they're racist. So they they want to like separate yes. those people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and there and this is happening during a time that that White House very specifically is flooding um, the neighborhoods where this supposed caricature is is coming from with crack cocaine. Right. And so that's that's terrifying. This middle class, you know, predominantly white America, like oh, well, all of this like welfare is going to. Um, you know, to fund these drug addictions and so on and so forth. Just, yes. And, and that's stuff that and, people and, still believe today. Like, yes, it's, it's yes. really crazy. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. how do we get to a point sure. from public, from like our grandparents? Like, how did my grandma go from like utilizing these public programs to then having the mindset that they were like bad and made you lazy, mm-hmm. you know, like that happened in her lifetime. Wow. Wow. It's a pu- it's a huge turnaround. It's the success of this. Oh, it gives me, it gives me chills. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Cause you can just really of, see it. You really see it of the culture machine that's happening really behind behind it in the 1980s. But the Reagan white house is, is really having a hard impact. Uh, Ronald and Nancy are both out there and they're really working. They're, they're really working. Pieces of shit. They really are. They really are. And they really work that media. And, 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 you know, and there were other things at work also is we had, we had this, we had the cultural mind shift being shift to the right by Tipper Gore was out there and active Joan Mondale. These were Democrats, but these were, 
these were these were senators' wives who were starting to direct, to direct um, the PMRC would come out of this. The parental rights, the music right. labels would come out of this, right. which is this huge censorship scandal that gets swept under the rug like like consistently. But this is the '80s, and it's being based around all of these political wives are out there just saving saving our children from these drugs. Yeah, and it's and like Satanism okay, Tipper Gore. And, is Al Gore's wife, and Al Gore is George Bush's George or uh, uh, Bill Clinton's vice president, and then Bill Clinton was like yes. fucking with Poppy when Poppy was like bringing guns into Arkansas. So it's just yep. like Bing Bang Bong. There you go. There you go. Yep. It it really it really is like that. So there there these are these are some wild campaigns. It, that are it really does seem like when Bush got in there is when these party lines are really dissolving. In terms of like, you know, we've talked about this how there's like really no difference between like all the Bushes, all the Clintons, the Obamas, like they're all friends with each other they all have like the same agenda mm-hmm. but like did that start with the bushes like it might have like it might have i don't know that's just what i'm yep. seeing <laughs> thank yeah. you yeah yeah i i mean i it, possibly it goes back it goes back far enough that that could be the case i don't you know but they're definitely making this shift in in what a freedom of expression as it's happening in the in the public field in the organic public field and you know in the corporate media they're really they're loving these corporations that are putting out these albums and are making these news programs um they're loving this is also the explosion of cable television so lots of content is needed. You don't have all this content back then, right? right? So like, right. they have, ah, you know, they have cameras to point on, per, like what's happening over there. We need tons of content. We need con- tons of things happening all all the time. Um, so so they're ready to promote all of this, all of this propaganda also, and, mm-hmm. and follow all of these trends and go along with all of this, and also getting all of this free attention from these scandals was something that like MTV would want. It's something that magazines would want. Anyone selling something to young people wants that scandal. You want Temper Gore to like say something about you to a certain degree, maybe just in time to like pull it back and then sell lots of records. However you want to, however you want to look at that. But so, so these things are starting to go hand in hand. So they, I guess what I'm getting at is they're taught, you know, like, like Tipper Gore, if you're just like somebody who's like, kind of like, you know, came up like, you know, through the seventies or whatever, and you just kind of had a couple of like babies in the eighties or whatever, you know, church, you know, person, like not really somebody who's into MTV culture, like all of a sudden, like Tipper Gore shows you like some album cover that's like like really like really overwhelming in the image that she's showing you yeah something so that would this, shock like, you because it's not it's no, something that you haven't right. seen yes and have no lead up to whatsoever and have you know and like nobody's really also representing you know these corporations make these crazy fads that are supposed to scare you right so anyway anyway Ooh. all all of this is <laughs> 
Yeah. So all of these things, so all of these things are happening. So people are terrified, you know, that's the other thing. And like, that's the, it's the onset of like the satanic panic, which kind of overwhelms that late eighties, early nineties period. But at any rate, you have this, um, you have this spec, you have, you have these repressive laws and these spectacular cases and this whole spectacle is really being made, um, to get, to get, there's this whole scare. I mean, it's not the first time in history that it's happened that there's this attack. I mean, I must happen every couple of generations. There's an attack on this just basic morality of, you know, the innocence of, of your children, um, by culture and you need these laws to protect you from those mm-hmm. things. So you wind up getting these, these really repressive, um, capitalist laws that if you're only getting really a part of the picture can all sound really reasonable and, 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 and not really understand what the deeper implications of them are. So that's all happening and being, and there's a press for it. You know, you're getting, the public is saying, we need you to make these laws. And that's, that's an important part of, um, of politics. Um, so like yeah, I say, like all of this manipulating people into thinking that they need something that they're going to then ask you for. That's like already part of your agenda. Yes, 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 definitely. So uh, this is like, you know, like I say, this is leaving, um, this is leaving Poppy open to do his, to do his, um, his foreign policy bit while the culture is essentially being shifted who could, by people who can do it way better than he could. He's not, you know, Poppy Sr., that's his like, you know, he's not, he's not this charmer. People don't really like to listen to him talk that much. Like he's not... <laughs> I mean, you know, he's not, he's not, he's not much of a performer, but man, he uses it to his advantage. He really does because he loves these back room. He loves, he loves, I feel like just watching him just even in trying to like talk about his presidency, I find that, that it's more descriptive to talk about what people around him are doing because Mm -hmm. I feel like he's kind of that stealth of a guy when we get to W, we start talking about antics more. Like, he's more of a showman, right? He's more of a... Right. He's a stage guy, right? So, but Poppy Bush is just like, man, he's just getting it done but in, in all these different ways. And one of those ways is by standing behind these culture shifters like the, like the Reagans, who were all about that, all about that stuff. So, all right. So, in the meantime, so here's what starts happening. So, Poppy Bush gets elected into um, office. He becomes president in 1989. Am I saying that? Yes, 1989. Um, so he, gets, he goes into office in 1989. And there is uh, an agreement that there's, here's an agreement that FDR made in the 1940s that Poppy Bush is going gonna, is gonna to ride. He doesn't like the... He doesn't like the social safety net. That pisses him off, and he wants to mm. take he wants to take that down. The heat, the whole family hates that. But here's another thing that FDR did that they actually are like quite a bit and are going to exploit. So there is an agreement that FDR made in 1945 um, with the with Saudi Arabia to trade security for oil. That was initially done 
by um by Roosevelt. This wait, 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 wait. Can a, you just say that yeah. again? Because I feel like that's crazy and I need to process that a second time. <laughs> okay, so the first agreement that Franklin Eleanor Roosevelt made an agreement in 1945 uh, with Saudi Arabia to trade security for oil. So this was... Yeah, so it goes back... How did I not know that? Well, I mean, I don't... I mean, I'm getting that. It's in Wikipedia, even. Sometimes I just look to see. I'm like... I'm like just because I figure if something conspiratorial like that shows up on Wikipedia, it's probably right. Um, so, right. Um, it does show up. It does show up on Wikipedia, and then also I get that from Russ Baker. Those are the two places that I'm getting that from, and it's vague as to how this. You know, there's a there's a business deal made on a boat in a canal. You know, so, like, it sounds... The, just, like, the word security, I'm like, that is so vague. That, like, what what, what the fuck do you mean by what that? What does that mean? What do you mean right. by that? <laughs> so, it is, it is very vague. So, let me, um, let me get in here. Let me read you something from Baker that... That uh, maybe will clear it up a little bit for us. So, so FDR makes this deal. Um, he says, uh, according to Baker, it's uh, uh, Roosevelt goes out on the USS Quincy in the Suez Canal. Uh, <gasps> oh, that's the canal that's be... blocked right now. <laughs> oh, is it? Oh, yeah. that's so interesting. Wow. So, and he's Throwback. with Abdul Abziz. <laughs> he's with Abdul Abziz. Um, who is, um, he's a petroleum guy. So apparently this is where this deal is originally made. So that's, wow. you know, all pretty vague. But like I said, wow. that's also, it's also on Wikipedia. So, you know, you can look in, into it more if you would like. That's where I'm getting it from. So according to Baker, he says, this led to the establishment of a U.S. training mission in Saudi and the onset of a long-term U.S. military aid program, one that constitutes to this day, which this book was written in 2009, or published in 2009, as part of that assistance, the United States helped create the modern Saudi army as well as the Saudi Arabian National Guard, SANG, a rival organization responsible for internal security and protection of the royal family. My mouth, my jaw is on the floor. Right. Right. So if that shit goes way back. Yeah, it does. So, yes. And it goes, so this is training Saudi military, the United States training, doing military training with the Saudis. This goes back a very long way. Um, Trading weapons, securities goes back a very long way. And being uh, the United States, even being in a position of funding both sides through the military, funding both sides of the Saudi clashes between the royal family and the Saudi people, the United States military, uh, being part of both sides of that even goes, even goes back a, a certain ways. But... Where this becomes essentially different for the Bush family is the way that all of this gets very personal 
it Ooh. becomes the Bush family themselves doing. I know it gives me it gives me chills. Also, doing paying for this security on both sides. Oh, it, you know, they're still they're still using U.S. military operations to, that are, that are in place that have been there for a while. But the Bushes are increasing, constantly increasing the intimacy in their business and securities and like weapons relationships with the Saudi royal family. Like it gets, it just gets continuously more creepy, and it's really the Bush family way is what we're really getting into here. The Bush family is exceptional at creating these webs that. It just kind of seems like at some point, if you're in the web, you recognize that not supporting the web is just the utter destruction of everything, the utter destruction of the web. And they're really, they're really good, they're really good at setting that up, okay? And so they start like weaving this web with the Saudi royals in this way that's just, I mean, creepy is really, is really the word for it. Um, so it says, so this, this is back, this is back to Baker. And he says, Saudi Arabia would become and remains to this day, 2009 for this book, um, the leading recipient of U.S. arms and military services, far exceeding Israel and all other U.S. allies. Much of this assistance goes to Sang rather than the army and therefore is intended specifically to protect and sustain the Saudi royal family. Wow. Well, wow. That's insane. Like, (laughs) that's... So the people who are... Think about this. So this family who wants to destroy the social, the New Deal, the social safety net, they want to take that money... And give it to the Saudi royal family. I mean, that's what they're doing. This it's, is crazy. <laughs> it's outrageous. Yeah, it's outrageous. So um, that's uh, that, that's 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 what's that's what's up um, with them. So I want to I want to while we're at this place in the Baker book where he's saying, you know, um, that so much of this money is U.S. money is going to protect to the royal family, their personal protection. Um, right after that, Baker talks about this, and I think this is important. And he says, This military assistance extended to pilot training. Previously, the United States had concentrated on training its own air crews for operations over Saudi Arabia. Now it was equipping and training the Saudi Royal Air Force to operate Saudi aircraft, planes that had been purchased from the United States. This was an approach that President Richard Nixon also favored, take care of the despotic rulers who sat upon these thrones of petroleum, equip them and train their military, and directed juicy contracts to U.S. defense contractors at the same time. The Pentagon convinced the Saudis to buy Lockheed's new F-104 Starfighter, the first service combat aircraft designed to fly at twice the speed of sound. So 
that's a whole lot in one paragraph. That's how deep everything, that's how deep these defense contracts are getting. This is how deep secrets are getting with the Saudis. And I think that this part also becomes very important. Like the Saudi royal, they, there starts to be a lot of secret keeping. And that's where these webs get 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 built. Um, so, and I, oh, I want to add this in there too. Here's Here's another place where, as I've said, you know, before, we have to remember that the Bushes are a flying family. Right. You know? So, right. So that's like, and it really does come up over and over. So one of the things that Baker points out also is he says, um, access to the world's most expensive toys, American high-performance aircraft and even spacecraft, was a significant attraction to the Saudi princes. Bandar's father, the longtime Saudi Defense Secretary, Prince Sultan, was training in Houston at NASA and became the first foreign national to fly on the American Space Shuttle in 1985. So these, you know, these are just very rich people. They can buy whatever they want, including trips to space. Right, I'm like, wait, what? Yes, you know, so like it wasn't the, there was another Saudi prince, I think. I guess I'm like the U.S. government is really just like your bitch if you're like, hey, I have this money. Can you like take me to space? And they're like, yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely. I mean, especially I think too, when you're like, you like, and we're in charge of your oil, like, you know, mm. That's um, that's a huge that's a huge thing. Insane. But yeah, no, I think it, I think it is like that though too. That it's just like yeah, if you have the money, I just it's funny to me because there's so much talk about Elon Musk and right. people buying a ride to like space. I'm like ah, they've been doing it. Yeah, true. <laughs> but people don't. I mean, I didn't know that. Right, right, right. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm like, wow, they think Trump made this country into a business? Wow, no. Yeah. Look at how this no. is like very business dealings. <laughs> well, okay, that's such and like that's a perfect example. Like one of the one of the things that the Reagan White House, one of the many poisons that the Reagan White House dumped into American stream of consciousness is him asking like wouldn't it be better if the government was run like a business? And, you know, all these, like, Time Magazine pundits and, you know, like, all, you know, Life Magazine articles, whatever, all those jokers, they came out with all these articles that were like, well, maybe Ronald Reagan's right, you know? So, like, that's exactly... Uh, that's, maybe that's exactly Ronald what... Reagan is right? Are you kidding me? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, what the no. fuck? You guys are all fucking just dumb like you're like wow this white man actor i I mean it fucking happened again it's like wow this white man i've seen on tv yeah yes save me you're so smart we're gonna run it like a business like i mean i know people were making the reagan comparisons throughout his uh, campaign throughout trump's campaign or whatever but i'm just like Mm -hmm. it bears repeating because it's just so insane (laughs) yep yeah, and I mean, God, just imagine being, like, somebody who, like, you're just going to, like, your office job during the day and you just want to unwind at a happy hour. And there's, like, some loser who's, like, 
Maybe it would be better to run. You know, like, that's your life. Oh like, you have to listen to people talk like that. Those were the times, man. <laughs> uh, that's awful. I know. It's awful. It's awful. But I that's am so what, like, sorry what? for what gen? Is that boomers <laughs> or I don't know. I'm sorry for whoever I went guess through that. Yeah, I guess it's like older Gen X, probably. Well, I am yeah, sorry. We're gonna release that now. We're gonna release <laughs> that now. There we go. <laughs> oh my god, that's very funny. I got to cleanse myself of thinking about having to talk about Reagan. I have to take a shower, a bath. I know. It's so real. Crack an egg. Salt bath for everyone. <laughs> Run an Crack egg an along egg, your head. And... In there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Good advice. So, um, so, so, all right. So, we've got um, the Bush family cultivating. Like, they cultivate this, like, I, you know, this is my wording for it. It's like a new strata of co-relationship with, like, Saudi royal power. So, like, they just, like, they, they really start, like, adding these, these nuances to an already complex and precarious web. One of the things that, in my reading, everything, everything, everything that I read from especially the three generations of Prescott and Poppy and then W, everything I look at, it leaves me with this kind of, this feeling of, like, they will just kick any kind of precariousness down like they will just their willingness to just really create chaos even in some ways sometimes it almost looks like on themselves is kind of I mean I don't have the word for it it's scary I mean it's just it's 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 very frightening and it's such a it seems to be such at least from the outside it looks to be like such a component of their power is you really like you don't know what they will throw into peril like they're very cavalier they're very yeah I mean I feel like if you're really in the mindset that what you're doing is like bigger than you you're gonna you'll sacrifice yourself for that you know yeah I mean I think you're right and and so and and they they do at, at, at certain at certain points, at least, or so it seems. So, so I, I, I don't know. Over and over, I just am a little bit. I'm a little bit shocked at some of the things that it seems like the Bush family is just like. Let me kick this over, and see what happens. Particularly with the Saudi, particularly with with power in Saudi Arabia. Um, so one of the things that's yeah. in Carl. Craig Unger's book, which is um, House of Bush, House of Saud, which is which is a really good book. And we'll talk more about that with W. But um, one of the things he said, this is what he says about the relationship. He says, the relationship was a coarse weave of money, power, and trust. It had lasted because two foes, militant Islamic fundamentalists and the United States, turned a blind eye to each other. The U.S. military might have called the policy don't ask, don't tell. The Quran had its own version. Ask not about things which, if made plain to you, might cause you trouble. 
Huh. <laughs> Which, like, I love, I love that. So that's, uh, that's how Unger explains the way the relationship between the Bush family and the Saudi royal family was understood at the time as just um, um, this pretty, uh, like, it's a bond. They're being forced into this kind of, for forcing themselves into this kind of very deep trust with one another. Like, they, they have to trust one another because of how deeply embedded they are with one another. And yes. so I just... I find the creation of this relationship just, um, I, again, I lack a word for it because I don't, I can't think of another example. I'm sure it's out there. These war families probably do this all the time. But to me, this is just, it's so cutthroat. It's just so cutthroat that they're like, we will absolutely make, like, we will absolutely put ourselves on the line to make this deal you know, like that yeah. will, when the two of us get together, together will be, you know, this, this, uh, this earthling power, this evil axis, or, you know, I think those are George Bush's words at some point in time. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's, that's the relationship, um, that they create and what they have in common, what those two families have in common is espionage, banking, weapons, airplanes, airports to name a few things that these are a few of their favorite things <laughs> for sure <laughs> uh, that would be like a cool list of things to like if it wasn't by like such evil pieces of shit i'm like i like airplanes airports i guess <laughs> yeah it all depends on on who yeah um like if we had that yeah. it would be cool i know <laughs> <laughs> right i know we could do so much better with it so um we really could so and i'm gonna back up a little bit of some to touch base with some of the things that we talked about in the last uh in our last installment just because I want to bring them all the way around into this clear picture before we kind of go over the events of um, of Bush's presidency itself, uh, which so much happens under his presidency that it's like you can just look at a bulleted like list of it and you just kind of it just kind of blows you away. He was very busy during those four years that he was in office. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess right, if so, you really only have a short amount of time and you already have, like, a very laid-out plan of what you need to do, you better get it yeah. done in the time allotted. It's true. And then it's absolutely true. He does have this laundry list of things he wants to accomplish. Plus, he inherits this really kind of specific end of, cold, end of the Cold War. Um, so that's this other thing that's going on during his presidency, which has nothing to do with him. Um, so yeah. <laughs> not really. <laughs> um, so, um, so what, okay. So one of the big scandals that was happening, um, it was happening during the Reagan Bush years in the white house and then in the Bush quail years also in the white house, um, was the promise software scandal, which we talked about last time right. which was right which had come out of a just to like nutshell it really quick it had come out of a white house initiative a reagan white house initiative 
called Follow the Money. Like, it's not even a CIA operation. That's just, that's just White House strategy. It's called Follow the Money. And they negotiated to illegally put the White House, illegally put a backdoor called Espionage Enabled on a on a software program that was the originally it was the original case management uh, type of software so it was initially done for made for the legal system so prosecutors could keep up with their cases but that was quickly uh, made into a processing system for any number of businesses hospitals would use it um, you know apartment complexes would then you know become to use it uh, you would any sort of company at this point mm-hmm. is going is going to use that type of software I don't care I mean kind of like Google if you just have like the Google package that you get for free like basically you're kind of you you kind of have some of those keeping track right. software. so right so but so pro- but promise is the first one of its kind and so and so it's being made to customize for these other businesses it is the predecessor this is this is so this is so important to bring back up it is the predecessor of what will become prism which is what uh currently the NSA the National Security Administration uses to collect data from the internet so wow. this prompt yeah, the Promise software scandal is really deep all by itself. There are many people die surrounding the Promise um, circumstances. There are decades worth of lawsuits. Um, it's numerous times the their judgments are made against the government, but nothing seems to really happen. Uh, with those cases, so it's pretty intense all on its own, and it's this really important software. So, because, it, like I said, it does eventually become Promise or become Prism. But mm-hmm. at the time, the U.S. the White House with Bush in there, they get this, they get a hold, they make the special Promise software um, that's got this backdoor in it, so that they can watch whoever's going through this system. And then they get certain, they have certain specialized salespeople to sell this product around the world. So one of their salespeople is Jim Bath, which we talked oh, about quite a Jim bit. Bath. Yes. Jim Bath. The... Khalid, yes. And Khalid <laughs> Ben Mahfouz, which is um, a Saudi billionaire um, who is a close business partner with Salem Bin Laden. You know, I mean, he's a, he uh, he is also employs Jim Bath, okay? Mm-hmm. But now he is also um, acting as a salesperson um, for this for this computer software. So it's essentially this little cluster of people um, revolving around the Bushes, the Saudis, the CIA, kind of this intelligence community. Um, they're it's a little cluster, kind of rogue cluster, that is operating out of the United States White House mm. <laughs> and selling this software. It's just, it's pretty cool. over the top. It's right. I mean, it's just, it's unexpected. Of course, you're talking about the same White House 
that's simultaneously doing the wrong contras. I mean, right. you cannot say these people are not ambitious. And, you know, these well, things are really happening. And they really were busy. So, um, so they sell this software to banks, international banks, um, to, um, to governments, to other intelligence agencies. So they're selling this. Um, so MI5, which is out of the UK, bought one of these compromised um, uh, spyware. So it's like MI5 is a spy network. It's the UK spy network. So it really is like... You know, it's spying on the spy networks. And so, anyway, this is a project that essentially allows the Bushes as well as the Saudis to spy on all of these um, institutions mm. and of all of these banks and these arms dealers and these businesses, whomever they've sold wow. this software to. I mean, talk about getting in very deep with someone. There is a level of, I mean, you can say trust, but it's also just a love of absolute chaos. Like, you cannot trust anyone with that kind of spying agreement. Like, it's just... You're going to find out things about each other you don't want to know. Right. Like, this just is not going to go well. And I feel like all parties kind of know that's coming. But it's such a powerful force. It's such a power move to, to move in that way. I mean, it's, it's spectacular in this way. So one of the computers, this is fascinating to me, because we talked about B... CCI last time also, um, but one of the one of the um, computer systems that, that that one of okay I'm sorry so mm-hmm. one of these compromised systems the espionage enabled systems gets sold to BCCI, which stands for the Bank of Credit and Commerce International. So here's the deal with um, BCCI. So let me read. This is also from, um, it's a paragraph from Russ Baker. And he says, uh, banking institutions of all sizes have played crucial roles, wittingly and unwittingly, in the repatriation and investment of petrodollars in the West and in the movement of monies to finance intelligence operations and undeclared wars. But all of this was nothing compared to the role played by an enterprise called BCCI. The involvement of the Bushes and their friends in this international scheme is not easy to tease out of the welter of sub rosa actions and relationships, but it is there nonetheless. So mm-hmm. that's what Baker says about it, right? Okay, so I'm just going to nutshell it. We talked about it a little bit last time. So it was founded in 1972. It's a bank. It was started by a Pakistani banker. Um, And what was really this bank did is it handled what what is called hot money. And so it would fund really, it would fund things nobody else would fund. Like, for example, if you wanted to build a nuclear bomb. Or you, you know, oh. something of, oh, yeah, my. they would, they, they, would, they would give you the money for that. Yes, oh, my. Right, right. 
That's oh my is wow. right. They were known worldwide that they would fund the most terrible things that nobody else would fund, and they would also launder money for the very terrible things that nobody else would launder money for. And so they did this internationally. So they and and it was it was a well known fact that they did not care if you had whatever who you were. They didn't have a side. They didn't have a religion. They didn't, you know, it was not about that. It was about being this very powerful entity, which for a while they were. Um, uh, Baker says at one point, he says, um, he calls it the one-stop banking center for everyone from dictators to drug dealers to intelligence services. So hmm. that's who was using these, that's who's using these banks, you know? So, um, so it's like it's drug de- drug lords, um, arms dealers, dictators, and like the CIA, basically, or many others. <laughs> so, um, so, but so, but now this organization, who's funding literally every, who's funding or laundering money, is involved in some way in every terrible thing ever that's happening everywhere all the time, basically, um, <laughs> in the world. Now the um, the NSA and the CIA and the White House and the Saudi royal family can see all of that. Uh, so they can see all of the backdoor deals going through on BCCI. So I mean, you. I mean, this is some next level. Oh my God. I know. This is real. Yeah, exactly what you said. It's just chaotic. Yes. It's absolutely chaotic. So um, this is what, this is um, a bit from Ryan Gallagher says in 2004 in a story he wrote uh, for the New uh, New Statesman called Dirtier Than Watergate. He says the story is so deep, dark, and complex a web of strange dealings and dubious characters. It implicates wealthy arms dealers, Israeli intelligence services, the Soviet KGB, MI5, and the CIA. But unlike Watergate, this scandal from a particularly dark chapter in American history has appeared in no Hollywood film and is uh, yet to reach a satisfying conclusion. So that's in 2004. But honestly, I could not find a satisfying conclusion um, to the promise um, software scandal my, myself. Wow. So, um, you know, maybe it's out there, but maybe it isn't. And so, and that's quite a list of, um, and you know, who else they were, I is here is, um, so they, let's see, Soviet KGB, uh, the UK government, Australia, South Korea, they're watching, Canada. Uh, MI5, I said that one. Um, US, MI6, also, that's also out of the UK. Um, and then this one was really interesting to me. So it was the Irish Republican Army, oh. as well as the Irish Republican political leaders, um, which I believe were on, on, were doing separate things. But they were watching the, they were watching the IRA. And I, you know, I looked it up at this point in time because there have been all these variety of name changes, um, but this would have been the um, this would have been the version of the Irish Republican Army at this time would have been the Provisional IRA, 
which was leftist but not Marxist. Okay. And so I just found that I found it interesting that here's like they're they're so interested in the late eighties. They're interested in this um, in what the IRA is doing, and I find that really interesting. And interesting, and they're and and interested in what the those opposing the IRA are doing. So, I don't know. I find all of that. I find all of that very fascinating. So, um, it's just like see, a, it just I raises want. a lot of questions. Yeah, mostly just it like raises, what? It's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It raises a lot of questions about why they want to look at these things and who the, who they're looking at. And I really mean, just you know, like, wow, the spy network is so intricate. And it's like, of course, that is some CIA shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Of course. Um, so uh, here, this is, um, this is also from that Gallagher article. It says, uh, Inslaw, and Inslaw was the company that originally made the Promise software, but they had they had contracted it to the government, saying that the government couldn't make any changes in it. Well, of course the government did. They put a they put a back door in it so they could watch you. Anybody who had it, and so Inslaw is like, well, that's you broke the contract, and and judges kept agreeing with Inslaw, but there wasn't. I mean, it doesn't matter if the government's like, huh, what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So, um, so in so this is from Gallagher. And it says Inslaw alleges the U.S. Um, alleges the U.S. government by selling promise to other governments around the world engaged in what equates to multi-billion-dollar theft. This claim was supported by two separate courts in 1988, which ruled that it took converted stole promise from Inslaw. That's the U.S. government did that through trickery, fraud, and deceit. Three years later, however, a court of appeal overturned both rulings on a jurisdictional technicality after pressure from the Federal Justice Department. So that's another uh. part. Like when when we're telling these stories, the way something gets swept under the rug, you can have this yes, two courts agreed that the court that the government had done this thing to a private to a private company. They the judges keep agreeing. But then what winds up happening, what winds up being like the history, what winds up being the thing that you're most likely to hear about, if you hear about it at all, is that it was overturned. Wow. So, right? And so it just deadens and you go, oh, okay. And you kind of move on to the next fact or the next thing. And it just, it takes the... It takes the urgency out of the uh, out of the story, out of the out of the truth. Okay, I mean, and I feel like that. I feel like that happens a lot in telling in telling these stories. You know, just the memory of it and the way we tell the history is so limp that we don't really recall it. Okay, so um, that is that's that's that whole scandal. But that's what the that's what they're doing. I mean, like. I wanted to go back and talk about that again because of the relationship with the Saudi royals and what I feel like, you know, any of us, if we think, if you just think about it for a second, you and, you know, somebody who you have a lot to gain from, but you don't really have anything in common with that you don't really maybe even like in some way, and you start this 
unholy like deal with that person to spy on everyone you both know together i mean yeah. how is that i mean whoa that's some intense um politicking and some intense risk i just i don't know fascinating stuff so yeah it, um, it i'll say one confusing more. yeah so I'm going to say one more thing about Promise from um, from Wikipedia. It just says, in September of 1992, the House Judiciary Committee report raised serious concerns that Justice Department officials had schemed to destroy Inslaw, the private company, and co-opt the rights to its Promise software and had misappropriated the software. The report was the outgrowth of a three-year investigation led by Jack Brooks, the committee chairman, who had launched an investigation in 1989. The report faulted the Justice Department for a lack of cooperation in the investigation and found that there appears to be strong evidence as indicated by the findings in two federal court proceedings, as well as by the committee investigation that the Department of Justice acted willfully and fraudulently and took, converted, and stole Inslaw's enhanced promise by trickery, fraud, and deceit. So that was, um, so that's happened like three times at this point. What? So there's that. Yes. Yes. And nothing happens. So. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's like that's... nothing happens even when there's like public, uh, public outcry for things to happen. Yep. So things are happening yep. like behind closed doors well. Of course, nothing's going to happen. But it's like, it's just like, what? Why do the rest of us have to do this then? Why do the rest of us have to mm -hmm. do these, mm -hmm. like, have to be enforced by you if you're not going to do it? It's like, yeah, it's kind of bullshit, it's you guys. Nice. Yeah, right. It's I mean, obviously we know that, but it's just like, it's so frustrating to just, like, see the double standards and the hypocrisies, you know, all the time constantly and I just all of this all of the all of the double dealing like it's just uh it's pretty it's pretty it's meets the standard of wicked for tr for truly yeah. so the way that so promise is uh is watching bcci we you've got that relationship going and it kind of turns what baker says you know turns bcci which is the bank that's laundering all of this money BCCI is laundering Iran-Contras. BCCI is laundering mm -hmm. everything. And so Baker says, you know, this turns them into a de facto international crime syndicate now that, you know, they're watching. Um, these secret organizations are watching all of that. So this is from Baker's book, and he says, But the complicity of high officials in the United States and elsewhere in at least some aspects of BCCI's operations was never fully exposed as inquiry after inquiry hit walls where supposed national security interests were involved, BCCI had aided the CIA, British MI6 and Israeli Mossad, Saudi and Iranian intelligence together with the North Koreans, the Chinese, and above all the Pakistani military, and all parties were afraid that their own secrets would be compromised. Dang. Dang, it's a perfect, it's a perfect Yeah, knot, that's right? how you get it. It's like mutually that's assured destruction. It. Like, that's why we haven't yeah. all blown each other's up with nuclear weapons. Because, oh, well, if you're, if you're going to, if I do it, then they're going to do it, you know? 
That's the, uh, that's the, uh, that's the, yeah. I mean, that's the plan that's been of going course everybody's, so far. Uh, for it's sure. just like, you can't. Yeah. This, uh, that's so that's too stressful. I'm like, this is why everybody's fucking miserable. Cause this is like the most stressful, tense system that we're all fucking, all of our lives are controlled by this, like these crazy people being like so tense and manipulative and evil and like we're all just being controlled by them because we happen to exist Mm -hmm. in the marketplaces where they're doing their business (laughs) yeah i mean absolutely absolutely well i quit Um, i wish i could just quit i i know i I declare i am no longer a part i am officially declaring i rebuke I rebuke the United States and all of their banks. I mean, yeah. Does, that's, do you think that's going to work? We rebuke I rebuke We rebuke thee. I rebuke you. It's going to work, I think. It's going to work. <laughs> so, yeah. So, the you know, and here's the other part of it is... You know, at one point in time, because they had gotten in trouble, BCCI, um, and even Promise, I got, I mean, you know, lights were shined on these, on these things. But at some point point in time, uh, Khalid bin Mahfouz ends up paying uh, 225 million to settle fraud accusations, right? But then, like, he just moves right on. So... There's this continuous, I mean, 223 billion for, for this, or million for this person. You're not, you're talking about a billionaire. You're yeah. talking about somebody who's, who owns, a, who owns the bank uh, that does the banking for the Saudi royal family. Like, this is his bank. Yeah. You know, like, that's, you know, I mean, whatever. Here's 225 million. Just don't talk about this ever again. (laughs) And so like they can, you know, they can play these really high stakes games. It's easy for them to buy us off. I mean, (laughs) it's not hard for them to do. So, um, so he's able to do that occasionally when he does get in trouble. Um, and then also there's there's these odd ways in which they tend to cover for each other because Bath, Jim Bath gets caught kind of at one point in time, um, but they you know they they all kind of play this game, uh, bait and switch kind of game together and you know um, and and you can't really tell what what Jim got in trouble for anymore so. They do that with one another. Uh, anyway, I, the relationship's uh, fascinating. It's truly fascinating and so dangerous. So, um, so this takes us to this is so. This is the four years of George Bush's pre- uh, pregnancy. I think I said that last time. So, but this is um, <laughs> this is the four years of George Bush's um, a senior's presidency. I'm just going to kind of go down a list of things that he fomented while he was in that White House. Each and every one of them goes so deep, it's hard to really discuss in in detail. But we will come back to some of them as we talk about how they play out for W, like mm-hmm. where where some of these things play out for W. Um, but mostly important, I think, through this lens, everything that we've been talking about with Poppy and with these secret 
all of these secret dealings and the precariousness and the culture shifting to really see what he's able to just sit down and accomplish while he's in the White House. So one of the first um, things that he does, he gets in there in um, in um, December, I'm sorry, January of 1989. And so by December, December 20th, he, of that year, he orders the invasion of Panama, hmm. which is everyone tells him not to do it winds up being condemned by um the un you know this is just months he's been in in office so he's been condemned um by the un general assembly and also something called the organization of american states i i have never heard of that until just now until they were mad at george bush senior the organization of american states i don't know but they did they condemned um, Bush's uh, um, invasion of Panama. So, as a and they said it was a violation of international law. So, what was uh, what what was happening here? Like, why this was very unpopular? Nobody wanted him to do it, and he just pushed. He just pushed forward and did this. Well, he wanted he wanted Noriega, who even. Wikipedia recognizes that Noriega was someone who worked, this is quote-unquote from Wikipedia, someone who worked with the CIA. So, um, <laughs> which, you know, so we, we know that. So, like, you know, this was one of their, one of their guys, right? Uh, or had been one of their guys. It had been one of, Noriega had been one of their drug dealers, essentially. Hmm. So, but who knows what started to happen there? I think that there's a chance that Noriega was skimming off the top or perhaps um, thought that, um, um, thought he could amass a certain amount of power. I find that hard to believe because they were only paying him um, $100,000 a year and then at some point they raised it to $200,000 a year. I mean, they had a concern nothing. I know. It's nothing. I mean, I think even President of the United States made more than that at the time. So um, so they were paying him, like, nothing. So I don't really think he could thought he was going to amass power against the United States empire, but perhaps he was skimming. I'm not sure, but the Bushes wanted to get back at Noriega, and they wanted to take him out of, out of power. In, I mean, and he was, he was a military officer, who had and a politician who wound up having supposedly having this de facto kind of power, probably most likely as a drug dealer, um, in Pan- in Panama. So they wanted to take him out. Um, but one of the things I'm pretty sure, because we've talked we talked about this um, before, but they did the um, they played the loud music oh. to get Noriega <gasps> out. Yeah, we talked about this and from Waco. Yeah, and I think I'm pretty sure Noriega, the song was um, Welcome to the Jungle. (gasps) And it makes, yes, and Noriega was known for his hatred of rock and roll music. And I would think especially like heavy metal um, or hard rock, whatever you call Welcome to the Jungle. But um, but, but some would just just call it bad. Yeah, some would just call it bad. That's true. So, but the, just the lyrics is what makes me think maybe he was skimming 
from the bushes because just where it's like, you know, you can have anything you want, but you better not take it from me. Just as like, I mean, wow. I could just see, it seems like Barbara would even like approve. She'd be like, oh, well, that that's very nice, honey. That's actually very nice of you that saying he can have what he wants. Oh. It's very Christian of you, son. <laughs> um. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's my Barbara Bush impersonation. Oh, you did a great, um, great job. Sounded thank just you. like her. Thank you. <laughs> You very much. Um, so, uh, so, so he goes down here and gets um, gets Noriega and hundreds of there's hundreds of Panamanian deaths that have that transpire from this. Um, it's just it's it's an absolute disaster that really does seem to be um, primarily motivated by a personal vendetta. Everything about what happens with Noriega seems very personal from the White House to Noriega. And he had been one of their, one of their guys at one point in time. Um, but that's also part of, of the business. Um, so I mean, Saddam Hussein is arguably one of theirs, which we're also going to talk about here because Mm -hmm. that comes up next in, um, in his, in his presidency, that uh, so August of 1990, you have so again here. Let's see how long has he been in office? So not quite two years. He's in office, and so he and he's already done this thing in Panama, and then he's off to start. He's going to kick off now what would be the series of the of the Gulf Wars, um, which I think a lot of times people just call it the Gulf War. Americans do. But it's it's a series of, of wars that are kicked off by George Bush. So they go. So Saddam Hussein is uh, he invades Kuwait and Bush leads an embargo against Iraq to force Iraq out of Kuwait. Um, so at this same time, here's another. Here's something else that's happening. So the United States. So the United States is having this embargo against Iraq to force them out of Kuwait. And they also send something they love to do. They send more military to Saudi Arabia to counteract Iraqi pressure and intimidation from against the Saudi family. So it's just, here. here's this thing. Like, how much, like, it just kind of, every time you look, like, there's more security going to Saudi Arabia. It seems like the first thing um, anybody really thinks about at the White House, you know, and that's not even just the Bushes that, you know, that goes, that goes back in time. So, but anytime something happens, how's the, how's the Saudis? How's, how's Assad, you know? So anyway, that happens. Um, So that, that kicks off this whole string of of circ- of situations that happen. He he reinvades Kuwait at another at another point in time, um, but a whole string of of situations get kicked off um, in the quote unquote Middle East, which is problematic in its wording enough anyway. So, but according to um, the, and this is something. This is according to the Encyclopedia Britannica. They they call this a diplomatic achievement. Um, according to according to Encyclopedia Britannica, this is one of Poppy's diplomatic achievements. Was his skillful construction 
of a coalition of Western European and Arab states against Iraq. So this is another one of those deep Mm. cultural movements, yes, that you have going on um, early in the 1990s. This is one of those... Uh, Bush cultural shiftings that's that's happening and also we need to remember that like this is the Cold War is ending 1989 like he took office the year the Berlin Wall came down so like he took like who that gives me a chill like he just happened to step into that history as mm-hmm. president of the United States which eerily gives him just so much odd cover for all the other crazy shit he's doing but I can't even like it's just like to me it's like luck of the black magician like I don't know what else to say about it like I can't no I can't really see how he could have planned it so well especially since I feel like so many things in the Bush plan doesn't go according to plan. Mm-hmm. But then maybe they just have a plan for however anything goes. I don't know. <laughs> but at any yeah. at any rate, he fell into this into into this into this history. So um so for him in nineteen ninety, he's kicking off all of these um He's starting all of this unrest, this civil, these civil uh, issues throughout throughout these countries that these oil rich countries and what we call the Middle East. Mm-hmm. So then he goes into uh, the Persian Gulf War begins wars. That's a that's also plural in 1991, which is against Iraq and Kuwait again. Um, so he's solidifying at this point in time, he's solidifying this intensely anti-Iraq sentiment um, along with other leaders in, in that area. Other leaders who are, you know, also embedded in this economy of oil and steel and banking and war. So, I mean, this is... This is who's this is who's running the you know mo- these operations, and that's who all of this is really for. So he kind of George Bush kind of he gets all these. I mean, they're literally at the time calling them skirmishes. One of the things that he's managing to do at the time period is, um, you know, the Bush White House, not just him and his whole like press apparatus. You know, it takes a lot of people right. to, to carry out to carry out this will. Yeah. So, um, but his people are doing a really excellent job of making these multiple wars in in the in the Persian Gulf and in Kuwait and Desert Storm, Desert Shield. You know, it just. They all have these different names, and they're do- making them. They're calling them skirmishes. They're making them seem like these little kind of flashbang, little wars. Little. They're not really like wars. They're not the same as like a war. War. Um, they do a really great job of that at the at the time. Um, when the truth, when the fact of the matter is, um, these were pretty intense um, clashes, and they might have <clears throat> been short lived in terms of their names. But the occupations were long, and the detail, the, the occupations um, by the United States in many of these 
in many of these countries, the unwanted occupation of the United States Army or <clears throat> sometimes maybe some of their allied armies our proxy armies, right, mm -hmm. um, were stationed in these places where they weren't wanted. And this is, it's, that's not new, um, but the strategy is being really upped. Uh, the strategy is being really upped to um, create um, more and more tension. And meanwhile, right, we know that so many weapons are coming out of the United States to fund all sides of these quote-unquote skirmishes, and the United States is literally watching what unauthorized, I use that word lightly, and uh, gun dealers and unauthorized drug dealers are doing. They're watching their freaking bank accounts, and this mm. is what's happening at this period of time. So, um, so he also, this was cute. He also pardoned, Poppy pardoned, um, six Reagan administration officials that have been charged with illegal actions associated with the Iran Contra affair. Six, six of them, six out what? of the administration officials. Yes. I mean, that's so many people and they were charged with illegal actions in, in Iran Contra. And he pardoned them. So that's kind of crazy that presidents can just do that. Just tell me about it. And I mean, especially like, I mean, just like, my God, that would just be like, you know, I mean, if you and I did a bunch of crime together and then like you had the ability to be like, man, that's off your record. I mean, that would that's be what it so would be cool. Like. I wish that we That'd be had so that. Cool. We should get that. So mote totally it be, we shall do crime. <laughs> George Bush Sr. just gave me a thumbs up from the other side. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, you can't beat it. I'd do it again. Go he get him. Okay, Go get Poppy, him, girls. let's do it. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so, and the other thing, like I said, he's positioned historically to, like, you know, end this, like, have this Cold War end, which is just, like, it's so much wonderful press. So, if you look at what we're getting, um, at this time period, you know, um, from the Reagan-Bush White House, we get, you know, Ronnie and Nancy, who are constantly speaking to us from their living room about the evils of drugs and the power of prayer and blah, 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 all of these things. And then you get um, George Bush is coming into the White House. Look, like the, like the Cold War is over, like peace is finally here. And, you know, he's shaking hands with um, Gorbachev, who, you know, was the, was the, was the Russian leader at the time. Um, who was very liberal. Gorbachev was very liberal. And, but, you know, so like, I mean, I guess, by today's <laughs> standards, I suppose everything is. But, um, but, you know, Bush is like shaking hands with Gorbachev. Um, they're signing these nuclear de-escalation deals, um, which, you know, once you realize that there's a bank that will give you a loan for a nuclear bomb, should you happen to want one, you know, and once you know that something like that exists, you can't look at George Bush 
and Mikhail Gorbachev, you know, signing these like, cute little pieces of paper and take it seriously. Yeah. Once you know, right? Once you know, no, these guys down here, let me tell you what, we got this bank and you do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Once you know that, these other things are very clear what they are. They're just spectacle. They're spectacle yeah. for the people. They're oh, they're a spectacle for the for the history books. It's just you know, it's a carnival, truly. So, um, so that's but that's a lot of what of what um, Bush did. In, in he gave a lot of speeches about the end of the Cold War and this um, new peace. There's something the um, when he was getting brought into the office. Hopefully, somebody listening will be able to will know the. Um, We'll know the YouTube clip that I'm talking about because <laughs> I honestly, I can't find it. I've been looking for it, but it's famous in conspiracy circles, and I just have not been able to find it. But it's George Bush Sr. after he gets elected. He looks into the camera, and he's just he looks like a little kid, and he says, we really have a shot at this new world order. Oh, right. right? And yeah. so is so great and so like you know like the conspiracy yeah that really... that is definitely like uh like wait are you serious <laughs> i don't know new world order is, right. is a i don't know but i mean it's like right. he really just said that so he did no he really did and you know and i mean I think he meant all of this. I mean, this yeah. was the new world order that they're seeking. Um, I know, like, yeah. what came first? Like, the conspiracy theory about new world order or, like, him saying that? Because it's like, I don't think, you know... Right. I don't know why. Like, new world order conspiracy is is so wild. But then it's like, God, everything we're talking about is kind of aligned with what they think. But it's like what they what the it just seems like the whole Illuminati thing is just like some totally trumped up fantasy that is like hard to take seriously because it's like people in robes throwing like triangles up and like every pop star is like a government agent. But it's like, okay. I don't think I really believe that. But, like, obviously there's, like, a global banking scam, basically, that people are, like, in, like, a spy network that these people are, like, utilizing to, like, just make themselves more money. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's true. I mean, (laughs) it's true. I just, I think, yeah, it's so... It's so funny. I think you can be totally above ground with this and just talk about basically rich people getting richer. And then I think it slips over pretty easily into talking about lizard people. You know, I mean, yeah. I just I think that you can run the whole like gambit on, you really can. on it, you know, you really can. And it's it's hard um, when it's like there's so many facts that I, that could give way to like people thinking uh, totally crazy things. But um Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, everything that everything that you've said is 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 actually real and proven and documented. So that's that's what they say Absolutely. about like the leftist conspiracy theories. It's like, hey, check out my like real documented thing that happened, and like right wing the- conspiracy theories are like. 
They're eating children's blood for adrenochrome. <laughs> right. And you're like, well, I don't know. I could I see that. where you would maybe think that, but actually what they're, <laughs> they're not doing that at all. Yeah. And you're a crazy person. <laughs> well, and I mean, you know, there's every reason to like put that out there for people to pick up on, you know, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean... because it makes stuff like this seem... I mean, it makes me not like it. It, it is. It is. It does seem something that's like that would be like strategic to me because it's just like it does make yeah real things like it makes it harder to like I don't know conceptualize as being reality because it's like oh it's so close to this thing that I know is like crazy and fake but it's like this stuff is actually you know real and happening and like is actually covered up and like isn't the same thing it's like new world order and adrenochrome yeah i don't know i i'm obviously you know what i mean (laughs) i do i definitely do i mean there's you know all of these things that we're talking about with the bush family these are all above board and i think some of them sometimes many of these things are actually touched upon in our news and in but we're not really picking up on their depth and i think that that was really true during the period of time that bush senior was just really starting just starting all of starting so many wars in this particular area of the world during the early 90s it wasn't that it wasn't being said that they that this was happening it just was being downplayed in such a way that people weren't looking at it they yeah. were excited about denuclearizing right um and some other some other you know things that were happening at the at during during that period of time so you know they cover things in that way also and then and then you don't realize like here's something that's interesting so you the gulf wars like i had said were all in the end they support the bush family's interests and so they were protecting the the they're protecting the royal family and the Saudis are alleged to have paid um, $32 billion on a $60 billion bill for protection from Iraq. Uh, the other $28 billion is paid for by the U.S., which mm-hmm. is a longstanding deal the U.S. has had with that family. So, like, in the early 90s, you know, he, this is also something I don't think gets put on the table in front of us to understand that this that all of this money went to protect Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia a very very rich country is only paying half the bill yeah that that is so confusing right so so but and here's another thing that happened also that I think is important to remember so Iraq is chased out of the U.S. chases Iraq out of um, Kuwait, and as the as the army is retreating, um, they set um, six hundred oil wells on fire. So, what? yeah. So the retreating Iraqi army, six hundred oil wells. Like I just, it's that's pretty cool. I guess to me. they were definitely like fuck you guys but um 
But uh, I don't know what, you know, 600 oil wells burning would be like and what the devastation must have been um, to create. So, um, I mean, that's and all of this is happening, right? And all of this is happening. This destabilization is happening under the influence of, of Western and U.S. Saudi, it's all happening under the influence of the agenda that these very wealthy people have. So any kind of sparring that we're seeing is, I mean, I guess I can't speak and say any, but to a large degree is orchestrated by outside forces, however that may then now play out between between two people who maybe didn't have a problem beforehand that's mm-hmm. you know but once you have a problem you have a problem and that's 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 how that goes and it's not to say that the problems that um people have in in warring areas are not real or important it's also to say that at some point in time some of those problems can be manufactured and yeah and and because and create these like just yeah. destable environments are ripe for exploitation yes Absolutely. That's, that's, yeah, absolutely. So I want to kind of take this to now like Bush leaving office. Like I say, with Bush, you can, so we're going to get set up for kind of what happens with the rest of the 90s. Bush, on the whole, this is what he's doing. He is, this is his presidency. He is destabilizing the quote unquote Middle East. He is um, allowing a um, culture shift to set itself pretty much in stone in the United States, which is a right-wing shift um, that definitely happened during the 1990s and not by by any accident. So he's waiting for that to foment, and he is... um, and he is setting up the next play that's going to lead to his son becoming mm-hmm. president. And that includes this relationship with the Clinton family that I think we've talked about a little bit before. I think we'll continue to establish here as we, as we go along with our 90s stories. But something that happened exactly one month after um, Bush Sr. left office was um, it happened exactly. So Bush Sr. left office um, in January of 1993. That's when Clinton Gore came into office. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and they've already got their hands in all of this stuff. They've already got, you know, we've their names. Look how many times their names have already come up and we haven't even started talking about them yet. So right. like, they've got their hands in all this stuff. Um, so they come into office, but a month into that, the um, the World Trade Center building is in 1993 is bombed. Right. And so what? Right. So this is this this is this thing that um, we tend to forget about, and it's actually it's actually very, it's actually really important. And I think the timing on it is really. Um, important because it has so much to do with um with the bush presidency and so um you know it happened despite him not being the president anymore 
but only a month a month later and I don't think that there was any way out of it it had a great deal to do with, and I mean not just his presidency I should say his vice presidency and his presidency it has so much to do with just the Bush dynasty okay so um Ramis Yosef is was the ringleader and he drove um a rider van into the parking garage uh of the World Trade Center and you know it had whatever a variety of things that it had inside it I feel like we're going to touch back on this with Oklahoma Mm because there's there's some there's a certain connection here so um, oh my god okay I'm I'm saving a I'm saving a yeah, you're saving yes, because that's what we're gonna do next. You're like, oh, I'm bursting, but yeah. yeah. So, um, so um, he says, Yosef says himself. He says this is by, from meddling by the U.S. in the Middle East. Like this is like, I'm full of rage. I mean, this was this this bombing um, came out. This is this. You have the terrorists saying this, um, but there's some other weird things surrounding it too. One of his cohorts had been arrested at the airport um, with a obviously fake Swedish passport, and then in his luggage they found bomb-making books and anti-American propaganda. And I'm like, I don't know. That's a little cartoonish. Yeah, like, that's like, a little on the nose. <laughs> right? I knew it. Foiled again. Oh, um, so there's there's some there's all there's there's many things happening here. There's many hands uh, here as well. But I but 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 I do believe like Yosef um, was a true believer um, in what in what he was doing. So he drove the rider van into the garage, and it was said um, that it was one building was going to collapse into the, to the other one and take them both down. And there had been some speculation even by the courts, that perhaps a cloud of cyanide was supposed to go off and kill as many people as it possibly could. I want to come back to that in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do know is that, um, is that this was, um, and, and uh, this was the consequences of, a, it was a terrorist attack done at least in part by um, terrorists who um, were getting back at the United States for what Bush and the and and the CIA had been doing in the Middle East for a very long time. Mm-hmm. You had that faction, and then we have. I think we're going to find as we talk about this more other factions on this bombing. But the desire to take down the trade towers was not was not something that came up out of the blue and i will think that i think we're going to see a lot of other um factions of people looking into how to make that statement i mean how to make that very specific um statement to you know act of war statement to the united states and i think we you know wind up finding some of our business people, to say the least, in, involved in that one. Right. <laughs> right? Um, so the bo- this particular bombing was six stories deep. It went up six stories, and it was um, 200 feet wide. It killed six people, and it injured a 1,000. And it did, it did change culture, and it did promote some laws that happened and at the time that it happened, this was a very frightening um, 
event and the warnings were by the public at least were taken seriously like well what do we do um about this hatred for the united states like what do we do you know which of course then the answer you know winds up being like we make it worse as possible ah! we make it as bad as possible oh, here, right um thanks for asking you know um <laughs> so um but there, you know, but there's that. And then, you know, up next when we talk about Oklahoma City, which has some, you know, bearing on on the way that the attempt of how to how to blow up the building um, seems like it's still being looked into. Um, I feel like there was one other thing. Oh, I know what I wanted to say. It does the um, the whole cyanide thing um, that had been said about that particular bombing. And then it was also like, there were 50 other or so threats that had been made um, that there were bombs in these different places. That was all interesting to me because I remember after the uh, 9-11 in 2001 when the towers did go down, there was all of that continued scare of, oh, there's bombs in all these other places and there's anthrax. And so, like, just the absolute sense of chaos that morning listening to like wait there's bombs like where and you're still waiting the entire public is still really just wait there's anthrax there's this there's that so it just kind of when i read that it just kind of gave me this memory and i'm thinking well that must be pretty standard like terrorist practice like just to like create like create make sure that afterwards there's just told there's even more just fear so everybody's looking for more bombs and poisons and like just keep everybody disoriented while you get away because indeed uh Ramiz uh Yosef did leave the managed to get out of the country after that uh after that after that bombing so Good um for him. I <laughs> right he got away at least for the time being they got him um they got him later so this leads us into um, this leads us into like our Clinton era politics and Oklahoma, and then finally into into Baby Bush. Wow. And um, yeah, so thanks for letting me um, wrap up on Poppy because that all no, I, I wanted it to so feel really today. nice and tight. It does. Me too. <laughs> it does. I know it does. Really, it I'm just like also. I guess like my biggest thing that I learned today was definitely the agreement between the U S and the Saudis to provide security for oil. Like I didn't know that. And that's fucking crazy. Going so far back to going so far back. I'm just like, wow, that kind of explains a lot. Why didn't I know this? <laughs> well, well, there's a lot we of reasons we now. don't know. Yeah, we know it now. That's right. <laughs> we know it now. Sweet. So, uh, thanks for yeah. doing all that. You're so smart and good at researching. Oh, thank you, Callie. I so appreciate that. Yay. And it's so fun to talk to you about all these stories. And I can't wait to do our next, our next part. <laughs> yeah, I gotta really get my research together. But I'm I'm excited to do it, so. Cool. Yay. Cool. All right. Okay, thanks. Well, bye for now. Bye.
Okay, bye. <laughs>